Again, I'm Dooner here with the Doom. What am I laughing about? I'm yeah, just in a good just mood. Just happy to be back, right? Huh? Happy to be back. It, it's a beautiful summer day, man. Hey, beautiful I, summer day. It's a pretty day. fun job. And if it, actually, I was kind of... Jo- I'm, okay, I wasn't jonesing. I took like a technological... A mild technological cleanse, at least compared to like how often I am online and yeah, reading yeah, articles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I noticed. I was sending you some uh, things about... Yeah, I ignored uh, everybody. St- you ignored everybody. I put a way message, which I don't even do. I ignored everybody. But a lot yeah. did happen. I mean, I wasn't completely oblivious to the world. So what did I miss while I was away? You want me to catch you up? Catch me up. Yeah, catch you up. All right. So the western U.S. is now completely on fire. Every place is all on fire. Ice worms are taking over the northern United States. Okay. The Olympics started, but there's nobody there to witness it. Bezos did not. Bezos did not eat the Mona Lisa, but he did manage to shoot himself into space. Okay. But the FAA says that he and Branson are not astronauts. They mm. revised the definition. They're not astronauts anymore. Okay. And now mac and cheese is now an ice cream flavor. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, something. Uh, Uber bought somebody like Transplace or something like that. Yeah, I heard about that one. It was like yeah. two and a quarter billion dollars. Yeah, something Some like change. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good thing today we're going to have Bill Driggert on to get us up to speed. Bill Trager, Bill Driggert, head of operations, co-founder at Uber Freight. Um, I think in terms of the Olympics, I don't think anybody can figure out how to watch it. Like, I have Peacock, yeah. and I couldn't figure out how to watch anything live. Was it the Olympics now on there? I'm seeing everyone on Twitter complaining. Nobody had an answer. Yeah, no, it's about to... Supposedly, you can watch whatever live event you want to, right? Yeah. But, it's, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. So uh, they're not getting the civilian wing. So that guy who backed out on Bezos, right? The guy yeah. who got, like, cold feet a week beforehand, he's, like, the smartest guy going had, right now. Yeah, I think Especially he had the a... inside scoop. He knew that it wasn't going to be all that. All right, well, right. we're going to bring Bill up. But before we do, let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships throughout standing customers service since 2007 to learn more tell them dude hey go to newlegendinc.com all right let's go inside the news story all right you heard the news last week i kind of missed it i mean i heard it through the grapevine but uber freight what transplace 2.25 billion dollar acquisition bill driegert is here now to get us up to speed and tell us all about it bill welcome back to the show hello gentlemen always good to be back Decidedly no less cats. cats. <laughs> yes. You're no cats. cats. He, he learns. He learns quick. So, Bill. <laughs> no, no Bill, you know, I go away for a week. The freight tech world sets on fire with, uh, with amazing deals going on. One of them you happen to be a part of. So take us inside the story and inside the deal. What happened last week with, between Transplace and Uber Freight? Yes. So last Thursday, we announced that we are acquiring TransPlace for $2.25 billion, as you outlined. Uh, it is still subject to regulatory approval, uh, but it's, it's transformative. It's huge for us. Uh, as I got into the deal and really met the teams and understood TransPlace, uh, I was pretty amazed with how complementary the two companies were in terms of service suite. Uh, you've got two companies that were founded on, I'd say, belief in big transformative ideas. Also, Two companies founded on technology. Uh, Transplace has been at this a lot longer than us. They were actually born as a tech company back in 2000. They were originally Transplace.com. Uh, gives you a sense of you know the environment they were born in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were uh, founded by when six of the large truckload carriers actually combined their logistics divisions uh, back in 2000. And as we've scaled and as they've scaled, uh, we've had very different focuses as organizations. 
Uh, so we've always been very focused on the carrier side and execution layer technology as where they are much deeper on the shipper side uh, and building out solutions as a 4PL. So bringing both orgs together uh, really uh, creates a very unique stack uh, of capabilities all the way from the shipper through to the carrier. Yeah, it's a really interesting deal. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal, actually, um, and, and great news and, and really a sign of the times to see these these. Like you said, one's carrier, very carrier focused, one very shipper focused. Although you guys started to take that approach with some of the other products that you were bringing out, like last summer, we talked to you a, a, a number of times about those different yeah. types of products that you brought out that are very shipper kind of uh, centric. So, why manage transportation now? Why is now the right time for for, for this deal? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And as you think about, if you look at the industry, there's there's a spectrum of levels of engagement from shippers. So I've seen billion-dollar transportation spends that are managed by teams of less than 10 and you know, $100 million spends with teams of 100. And we have been building out shipper capabilities, but I would say that by and large, those are more focused within those shippers that have the big teams, they have the deep execution capability. Uh, tools like our API and market access are really for those shippers that want to control at a transactional level. And so joining forces with Transplace, uh, now we have this whole suite of capabilities. And so for the shippers that are seeking that ideal managed partner and want a little more planning capability, a little more expertise uh, in their partner that is available to them through consulting and other capabilities, Transplace really provides that. So you see those as very complementary in terms of the suite of products that we've been coming to market with. Is this is this due to the learnings you've done now running Uber Freight for a while, seeing seeing the market? Because initially it seems like when Uber Freight starts, very you know it wants to carry itself on the brand of being Uber, that yeah. transactional thing. People associate how Uber, the taxi service, works versus Uber, the, the trucking thing. But as you get more familiar with this market, it's a pretty good idea to also get sticky with some of these shippers. Is that is that part of the value proposition here? Yeah, that's a good way of framing it because Uber is very, Uber as a Rides provider is very transactional. Now, we have Uber for business. We do engage with large enterprises and solutions, but really it's a person-by-person, ride-by-ride transaction. As where, again, logistics, it's a, you have a lot more nuance across the enterprise in terms of how shippers engage. And so certainly as we look at uh, you know, what we can bring to the market and all the opportunities to build technology in different spaces, it's, a, it's just a very complex ecosystem with a lot of niches and a lot of different types of solutions and ways in which shippers wish to, wish to engage. So certainly as we were you know, looking at this deal, that was top of mind for me in terms of opportunities. You just have, as, as Uber Freight, we've been very focused on building this, I like to say, execution layer technology uh, we've built a capability to connect a load and and a driver that I would say is is uh, you know market leading, and that was a huge focus early on. It was all about a owner operator downloads an app, hits a button, executes a, a transaction. Uh, one of my favorite quotes early on was that we liberate the freight. We really create this opportunity for small carriers to engage with the market in new ways, and that's uh, that's a capability that really kind of empowers uh, our shippers, but also provides uh, a lot of complementary benefits to Transplace as they look about look at how to build the best solutions for their shippers and bring their shippers better capacity options, bring more flexibility, lower the cost of transportation execution. Yeah, that's a really good point, Bill. So do you see this as something that really attracts more and more of those those smaller carriers to the Uber to the Uber model and be partners with you guys because it it opens more doors for them into the uh, the uh, the big league, so to say, for lack of a better term? 
Yeah, absolutely. It definitely opens up a lot more opportunities for the carriers on our platform in terms of all that freight that goes through a transplacent system currently and all the freight that they're currently brokering as well. It's just a, uh, it significantly expands the, the amount of freight that will be on the marketplace and for which those those small carriers. And we work with all size carriers, but I think in you know specifically very early on, we found that those owner operators and small carriers, they really did not have access to this freight uh, before. And so it, it was a new opportunity for them. Uber recently raised some money about, it was a month or two ago, we heard they raised uh, about, what, $500 million? Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Um, then this big deal comes around. I think that for two reasons, Uber Freight joining with Transplace or acquiring Transplace, but also the valuation, it, it, it's raised some eyebrows. So uh, that, answer the critics back. Why is Transplace wor- worth that $2.25 billion? And was that $500 million for that? Or, or you have even more plans? <laughs> yeah, you know, being with Uber Freight, I've, I've gotten quite used to, to, to critics. Uh, I think it comes with the territory when you're, you know, you're uh, you know, driving change in the market very quickly and kind of bringing new capabilities. There's always going to be people that are asking how this all fits together. Uh, I think for all the reasons I've stated, the value of uh, bringing TransPlace and Uber Freight together is, is very clear to us and to our investors and to everybody that's been involved with the deal. Uh, so, you know, absolutely feel that we... Uh, in the end, it will prove to be uh, a hugely uh, accretive uh, deal for, for Uber Freight. So very, you know, very optimistic about it. Yeah, as well you should be, I think. Um, so let's talk about something that also it, it gets criticized a, a lot is the ability and the, and the difficulties in merging the two technologies. What's the plan there? Can you speak to that a little bit, how you bring these two companies together? How are you going to wrestle these two animals together? Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question, and I I touched a little on how the tech is complementary. So sure. I think it's critical that we allow the you know, capabilities uh, as they exist to not you know we're this isn't about like um, kind of just merging things together. It's about taking the best capabilities across the org and making sure that we're both benefiting uh, across each organization. So um, you know there we don't have a lot of the capabilities that uh, Translate has in terms of Port PL capability. Uh, they don't have this high level of execution layer technology that we've built out on the carrier side. So these things are very complementary and they will benefit uh, both sides of the transaction. So from a tech perspective, uh, we have our kind of areas of focus and capability. And so really this deal is about building on those strengths across each organization. You know, we Transplace has a, a very mature, highly capable uh, you know, tech capability, uh, and we want to maintain that as well, while also then plugging in this excellent marketplace execution layer tech that we've built out. Yeah, you almost have to build it, because I'm also thinking about the, the deal you have with Blue Grace and the LTL, and it's almost like building uh, a basketball team, right? You can make the dream team, and you can have great players at every position, or you can do what USA did this year and put shooting forwards at 12 different positions and see how that works out. <laughs> Usually not as well, right? So the natural question is, because you've had such big news follow each other, what does this mean for the LTL, uh, for that LTL partnership you're doing with Blue Grace? Is that is that putting the point guard in there? Is that just filling another another big role? Yeah, actually, that's a great analogy, because I think we succeed uh, one of the things I've always loved about Uber Freight is the fact that uh, as a company, we actually have a, a huge diversity of backgrounds and capabilities, and we all came from different spaces. You know, I was in the logistics space, and we have people, you know, Leo came from Google. We just have this uh, breadth of experience, and I think with Translates, it just expands on that. And so it really is all about building that competency of putting the right tech and the right people and the right org within the right place across the whole Uber Freight and Translates umbrella. 
And so, you know, in that vein with LTL, we have this shipper platform product that has had huge success with small shippers. And it's a consumer grade interface. It really up levels the capability and the tooling and the, just the experience of booking truckload freight. Uh, what we found, though, is that those shippers that are using shipper platform, they, they really want LTL. The majority of the shippers that are using that platform are smaller and they have LTL needs. And so we, uh, we went to market and we wanted to check that box and make sure that we were bringing them a more comprehensive transportation solution. And so uh, we partnered with Blue Grace and brought their technology to the shipper platform. And that's allowed us to, to launch an LTL product that's native within that platform. Uh, and again, back to the, you know, the Transplace uh, uh, point, it's, uh, it's a capability and a, a service line that is uh, unique within that ecosystem as well. So we saw a clear opportunity to, to double down on that and bring more capabilities and more of a consumer-grade front end to those small shippers. Excellent, excellent stuff. So, Bill, let's 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 change uh, pace here a little bit and dig into some of the data and the knowledge and the trends that you guys are seeing. You had a report out, and we were going to meant to talk about this last time you're on the show. Getting into your report on the state of the industry, can you kind of dig into that and some of what some of the the key trends and uh, uh, findings that you found in that report? Yes, the number one thing that we're really tracking is how the uh, the labor environment and the market is shifting on the capacity side. And we've seen a huge surge in, in new registrations, but beyond that, we've seen a huge surge in owner-operator activations. Uh, so in terms of new registrations, the owner-operator segment went from 40% of new registrations to 60% uh, between H2 2019 and Q2, or actually 65% Q2 2021. Uh, and what we're seeing is this secular shift of capacity, and it's a lot of um, drivers coming from existing carriers going out and starting their own thing. And I think that's not a, a new uh, thing in the market. What's new is that I think they're finding it much more sustainable to do so. And part of that is the market. We've had high rates in the market for a sustained period of time now. But uh, I also, we believe that a significant part of that is this shift in uh, access to freight and greater visibility driven by us and others and providing that freight in such an easy kind of one-touch execution. Um, you know, back to that quote, like, you liberate the freight and then all of a sudden you've got owner-operators and small carriers who have new opportunities and the market becomes more sustainable. So I think that's, for us, that's the one secular shift we're seeing in the market that we're tracking very closely. Um, and it's it's exciting because it means that Ultimately, you have a lot more carriers that are staying in the market. They're becoming owner-operators. Uh, and your new owner-operators, too, are these are experienced drivers, by and large. These are drivers that are coming from uh, big fleets that have been driving for a while and just decided to go out on their own. And we're just seeing that happen at a much higher pace right now than we have historically. Well, Bill, you know what's exciting to us? Watching Uber Freight evolve and make these moves. Thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. We really appreciate it. And for people who want to learn more, head over to Uber Freight and also FreightWaves.com for all your freight breaking news regarding giant deals like this. Bill, take it easy out there. Thanks once again. Great. Thank you. Wow. He's got a lot. He's busy. I didn't even wheel a stupid question in because he's busy. He's, okay, he's, he's a, a little busy. Back. He's a little busy right now. You know what? We, <laughs> whenever I'm really busy, one thing I've been doing a lot lately is uh, Domino's Pizza Tracker, right? Speaking of Uber, and I don't want to throw shade at Uber Eats, but I was using Uber Eats for a while. 
was feeling it was getting too costly. I thought, started. Yeah, using, why didn't you bring that? Oh, well, he's well, I didn't, didn't want to do with I that. Just put him in an awkward position like that. It's not his. It's not his gig either. He's not running Uber Eats. I exactly. <laughs> I know that's like someone yell, you know yelling at me about I don't know sonar or something. Hey, you, you ever meet my Boston? friend from Boston? I know a guy from Boston once. You ever meet? Yeah, <laughs> I, a guy on the Cape Cod. But here's the thing. But I love Domino's for the pizza tracker, especially when I have to order my kids some pizza. Now it's not my favorite okay. food, but customer experience sells a lot, and sure. I can click my favorite buttons and I can have that pizza delivered to my house in like 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, the only thing that would make that even cooler is if I could have a robot do it, right? We're going to talk to Luke Schneider right now. He's the CEO for Fraction AI. And they have this like AI recumbent bike, but it can go through snow and it can bring you up. It's wild. Let's bring him on to find <laughs> out what's going on. <laughs> sounds like a robot's wheeling it his sounds like, Yeah. Now, Luke, you have a really interesting background and thank you so much for joining us. But you've been trying to sort of crack the code on, on transportation and um, the consumer relationship for, for a while, all the way back to being the CTO over at Zipcar. Hey, welcome to the show today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Now, for people who may not know or are familiar, we've also have some, actually, I think we, because you have to see this vehicle in action, let's play some B-roll we have of your vehicle going oh, on, yeah, you and do. you can give us a little, tell us a little uh, elevator pitch on what your company does and what we're looking at here. Sure. You're looking at a Rev1. So uh, this is our uh, autonomous delivery robot. It's leaving the garage, leaving the nest right now and uh, heading out. <clears throat> and, and essentially, it's been summoned. So somebody's ordered a meal. And in this case, uh, I think this one is going to be going to a, uh, a Korean restaurant called Miss Kim. Um, so it pulls up to the restaurant, lets the restaurant know that it's there. Um, and then they bring food out and they pop in a code. Um, and then you can see that they can load the, uh, the canopy. Now the, the, the robot, as, as you mentioned, is actually built on a recumbent bike frame. It's a tricycle. Um, and then the rest of it is you know, what we automate um, using you know, electric motors for zero emissions, um, and brakes, and, um, and an AI stack, a, a perception stack in it that uses primarily cameras. It's a very, very low-cost uh, robot in that sense. We're not using expensive LIDARs. Um, we're easily able to detect this gentleman walking across the street right here um, and then proceed once it's safe. Uh, and it uses the margins of the road. And I think this is one of the big differences between us and what you see in sidewalk bots. By using the margin of the road, we dramatically simplify the autonomy problem, um, but we can also carry a, a, a much more substantial payload. And we don't have to solve the really hard autonomy problems that you know folks like Neuro and Cruise and, and Argo are trying to solve where you're driving at very high speeds in, in traffic lanes. Now, this woman's received uh, you know, an indication that her food is ready and it's arriving. Um, she simply comes out, pops in the code, um, retrieves uh, lunch, uh, and, and brings it in, and, and then the Rev One is off to uh, to the next uh, destination. Wow, it's it's really really interesting, and I, I think it's I, I think it's worth pointing out. I, I reading uh, you know the site and so on that you guys are really focused on the application of of all the different technologies instead of like really developing. Them. Well, you're developing those as well, but it's really on creating those acceptance in those vehicles that are actually going to work there. Uh, and so what are some of those things that you're considering when you're designing it? It's a tricycle. Why, why a trike? Why a trike? Why this size? What are those things that, that you considered in, in developing this? Yeah, well, look, it's sort of like if you sat down and you got a bunch of people together in a room and you said, hey, what's the best way we could deliver pizza? Right. Would it be a 4000 pound SUV with a person driving it using a regular traffic lane, you know, pulling over to the side to get out and, you know, and drop it off? I mean, no. Right. It's it's a ridiculously over designed solution. 
So the things that we thought about are one, what people care about, you know, certainly speed for delivering food. We deliver lots of stuff, groceries, pet food, you know, whatever, but food, yeah, you have to get it there within a certain amount of time. But what they really care about is, did you get it there when I wanted it? And Mm -hmm. if you go to a city and you look and see how do couriers work in cities, they use bikes. Why? Because road margins and bike lanes are much more accessible, except in certain places. And, and you have this ability to then, you know, um, hit the middle of that, uh, that, that time frame really, really well. And that's one of the most frustrating things about last mile delivery in general is you get the four hour window and it's sort of like, oh, OK, well, I guess it'll be here sometime. So when we're thinking about this, it was a very good point you made earlier. We're not thinking about how to develop whiz bang autonomy. In fact, 50 to 60 percent autonomy gets us all the automation we need in order to do last mile delivery of goods. And, and that's all part of the company's concept. Very low cost vehicles using very sort of simple, but, you know, AI oriented perception and, and autonomy um, and using the margins of the road because it's sort of that Goldilocks zone. You can bring something meaningful, uh, but and you can do it at 12 to 15 miles an hour. Um, but you don't have to solve all those really, really hard problems about driving through crowded cities at 60 miles an hour, uh, you know, and not hitting people while you're carrying them in the back. Yeah, I mean, Luke, food delivery, in my opinion, and I went on a rant about this with uh, an Uber Freight's order where they didn't bring something, and then there's no way to get them to bring it without paying for delivery fees and all that stuff again. And let's talk about those delivery fees and that tip and everything. So, Vincent, to order like a pizza on Uber Eats, and not just single them out, this is, this is DoorDash and, and all yeah. the different ones, you also have to pay, you know, that $12 pizza, you're spending another $12 in fees, taxes, and tip, and it's getting crazy, and it's getting out of control. You're hearing more and more people complain about it. Can a solution like this help uh, help mitigate some of these fees that that users are paying right now yeah so you've hit the you know that's the, that's the heart of the matter really the um the, the 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 existing solutions don't work that well for anybody um so, so restaurants don't like it because they wind up giving away so much of the bill to other people customers don't love it because they're not getting the best service and on top of having to pay service fees and delivery charges and a tip um, you know, they're just sort of feeling like all of this is coming out of their pocket. So uh, when you use robots to do delivery, um, you know, certainly it can't do every delivery, but we think that there's 60 to 80% of those deliveries that it can do at, call it a quarter of the price. So twice the deliveries at half the price. A robot is something that can deliver 24 um, seven. It doesn't get angry. It doesn't need to go to the bathroom. It doesn't have all these issues, right? And, and it also has this ability to do multiple orders. Uh, it has this ability um, to, uh, um, to, to serve multiple restaurants and multiple customers. And by increasing the efficiency and the utilization of them, all that does is drive the cost down. Um, and so by really not inventing the world's greatest new AI technology, although I got to admit, it is pretty impressive with what we can do with a very, very small amount of money. Um, we're kind of redefining the cost model around last mile delivery. And so, you know, um, all due respect to, you know, people who, who need to have further distances or faster speed or a bigger payload to do last mile deliveries. Last mile delivery is a gigantic space and it has so many different kinds of components. But the portion that we serve is just in and of itself, you know, such a multi-billion or trillion dollar market um, that there's plenty of room for everybody to, to find that right niche. Yeah, it's interesting that you t- you talked about the nest and saying it was being summoned, and, and and that really spoke to the ability that it's not assigned to this company or that company. It's assigned to these tasks, and it can be summoned 
by anybody, right? So it can be moved over. It doesn't have the brand of this on it, whatever. It's, it's, that's really interesting. You also mentioned that um, you're not using you're not using lidar, and then it has sixty to seventy percent that it can just it, it can do for, th- for these deliveries, right? What are some of those limit limitations to uh, what it can or can't do? Can this thing perform in adverse weather? I think we've got some uh, some video of this thing uh, delivering actually in snow. Can you can you talk to its abilities there? Yeah, of course. Um, so that's one of the things is right when when do you really want delivery the most? It's you know when you don't want to go out in something like this. So, um, so the F1 was actually designed to be useful, um, during the, in, in the modes, I guess, where, where it's most, most desired or most demanded. Um, we use in, 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 in as our primary perception stack cameras, um, and, and their peripheral cameras, we use infrared, um, we use some radar, um, we even have, you know, experimental units that are equipped with, with solid state LIDAR. We don't hate LIDAR. It's just really expensive. So, um, but one of the things about using cameras um, and about using um, radar is that when the weather does get bad and there are, you know, particulates in the air that can diffract light and make it difficult to see with something like LIDAR at the frequencies where it's primarily produced um, and and offered, um, we can actually switch, you know, sort of seamlessly between autonomous mode and teleautonomy, where there's literally a remote driver who can pilot it. Um, because at the end of the day, that's why we can get away with 50 to 60 percent autonomy. Um, we're carrying goods, you know, we're carrying them typically in a three mile ish radius of where we pick them up. So um, if you had to have somebody intervene uh, and actually steer it around an obstacle or through a particularly tricky patch, um, that's not a problem. We just manage that as if it were part of the game. Um, and then, you know, to tell the operator sort of engages, disengages, and and the robot is on its way. So who is the customer here? And he kind of touched on this. Is, is this something you'd want to bring to the Uber Freights and the DoorDashes of the world? Or is it something you want to go to the national chains, the Domino's, or the, the local chains? I mean, I know you've already started some pilots out in, in Austin. You're doing live deliveries with, with 10 robots. But what is the end game here? There's a lot of different ways the business model could go. I mean, I think that's probably the most interesting question that we face is, you know, ultimately, if you look at micromobility and scooters, what did, where do they start? Where are they now? If you look at rideshare, where do they start? Where are they now? You talked at the beginning of the episode here about, um, uh, you know, I, I've sort of been working on transportation innovation for the better part of 20 years now and, and trying to figure out ways to innovate the business model to make it more efficient, to make it like a benevolent future of transportation. And I think that something like um, refraction has all these great elements together. Uh, it, 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 it is it's, it is mobility wrapped in with autonomy, wrapped in you know with electric and shared and connected, um, and it and it's something that we can do now. So today, the easiest way for us to go to market, and this is you know I guess if I count them off, this is like my eighth startup company. So the, the what you do is you run to where there is a concentration of revenue, and in this case. That tends to be meal delivery and food and grocery and those types of things because it's big and it doesn't have a lot of penetration. But going forward, if you know if we're able to prove out this concept, and when we get the robot cost down where you know where we're targeting, um, these will be very inexpensive robots that could you know be deployed in dedicated capacity to everything from manufacturing sites all the way through to neighborhoods and communities that want to allow residents to retire in place or, or, or have people that have difficulty getting out to stores. Um, and, and, and they can even serve food deserts. But, you know, on, you know, the, the most important thing I think is to understand that really what we're building is delivery capacity 
inexpensive delivery capacity uh, that that can be used to serve a very specific purpose. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day, you could wake up in the morning and you could just tell Siri you want a quad shot caramel macchiato and the one in your garage goes out and gets it for you. <laughs> That'd be tremendous if you could pre-plan it too, Yeah, right? <laughs> Have it here by 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. I need it. And a, a double latte too. Uh, but can you talk about that? So you're talking about the expansion and what it can do and what you're working there. Can you talk about the, the, the specs of it, the current specs, future specs, uh, you know, how fast, how much cargo can it hold, that type of stuff? Yeah, for sure. So that's one of the benefits. And that's one of the reasons why in their infinite wisdom, the founders of this company decided we need to use the margins of the road. Sidewalk robots are fine, but sidewalks are for pedestrians and for people. um, And they're very difficult to navigate. By building a a robot that can actually ride in the margin of the road, this is essentially the size of somebody riding a bike. Uh, Then we we basically have uh, a device that can hold, call it um, it 100 pounds, call it seven grocery bags, you know, something where you could actually order your week's groceries for a family and this could go pick them up and bring them back. Um, The uh, depends on your family, I guess. But but, but that's sort of the the general size of the payload. The robots go 12 to 15 miles an hour uh, at peak speed. Um, that gets modulated a lot based on the environment they're in. Um, but it, you know, it makes most deliveries uh, for food and other things easily achievable. Um, and you can even do sort of one, one, one payload, one delivery. You don't have to batch them necessarily. Um, although if you do, it makes it more efficient. Um, you know, it's like 32 inches wide. It's about five feet long, five and a half feet long, maybe um, uh, four feet high, um, about the size of somebody riding a bike. Uh, and, you know, like we said, it's got peripheral cameras. It understands what's around it. It yields the right of way to bicyclists and certainly to vehicle traffic, but also to pedestrians. Um, we think of it as a sort of benevolent um, bike lane user, if you will, um, or or, uh, or bike that's riding on the shoulder. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, from, from the marketing so far, it looks like you're going after the, the food category, right? And we've we've done a lot of stuff on drones. And my biggest problem with drones is I like pizza, but I just do not see a drone delivering a, any scenario where a drone delivers a pizza and the cheese isn't stuck to the top of the box. And it's not, <laughs> how are you going to deliver food with a drone? I mean, just think about it, people. How is that going to work? Well, I mean, the kids down the street sense. don't steal it from you, right? <laughs> I mean, well, if this at least makes sense. I mean, is there a pizza warmer in there? And uh, how... I mean, I realize you're just starting to build these, and I, I imagine maybe a drone could be cheaper than this, but is, is this cost prohibitive? Yeah, no, it's really not. Um, and that's the thing about it is we, we, we have this basic premise, inexpensive robots, road margins, and a sane autonomy target. You know, it's sort of the, the mantra for this company. Inexpensive robots is where that all starts. Uh, there are plenty of $250,000 pizza delivery robots out there that have, uh, you know, 128 beam LIDAR unit on the top of them, and et cetera, et cetera. That's never going to be the goal. What we're really working on now is, you know, getting next generations in place so that those designs improve the cost and the quality and the functionality of them. Um, weight's not really an issue. Uh, and, 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 and certainly we've been able to, um, to serve a really much broader variety, I think, of, um, of different uh, categories than we thought we could originally. And, and, and what's interesting about robots uh, is uh, we talk about this a lot. When you when you automate or you bring robots into an industry or category, it's really hard at the outset to predict where you're going to go. I mean, for example, you know, autonomous cars were going to be all about rideshare, right? 
Robo taxis are, are the answer. Um, just a few more billion dollars in a few more years and a few more months, and we're going to get there. Trust me. And you know, we see you talk about it in the show, right? This this pivot or this shift to focus on trucking and and and, and long haul trucks. And it's not just the autonomy part of it. It's powertrains, electric powertrains, you know, battery powertrains, sure, hydrogen fuel cell powertrains, sure. And and I think that that's just what we're dealing with right now. It's very early stage. We've got some really great applications. We've demonstrated that it's, you know, it's less expensive. It's more reliable. It's all these things that we want it to be. Um, now it's about, well, finding those right applications and, and, and finding the right business model. Very interesting. Very interesting. So you talked about the, uh, an operator or it's actually kind of uh, monitored autonomy, I, I guess, because somebody could jump in if something, if, if something goes wrong. What are, what are they instructed to do? What are, what are some of those things that could go wrong? Um, I mean, I can imagine, you know, Duner back in the day placing something back inside there that you may not want inside that vehicle after he gets his delivery. Oh, I can take it. Then I throw a sink bomb in there <laughs> yeah. or something. I mean, <laughs> hey, you never you know. know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. He may have some garbage in his pocket he needs to get rid of real quick. Um, but Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> sacky kittens, so, I mean. <laughs> so the... The first instruction is to actually activate the uh, the voice loudspeaker and in a RoboCop-like voice say, step away from the robot or there will be trouble. Yeah, um, yeah. And once that happens and everybody steps away from the robot, um, you know, the, the, the tele-operators are by and large instructed to... Um, to take over, you know, control of the vehicle. Um, what's interesting, I mean, look, if you look at the cognitive research, right, the ability to pull over and stop if you're carrying a load of, of, of goods, not people, um, is, is an advantage we have. Yeah. Um, that allows the teleoperator to engage, to understand the situation around them, um, and then to literally take control of the vehicle, to steer it, to manage throttle, to manage brake. Um, all those things are important. When you're when you're introducing something like this, um, you know safety is always the number one priority, and we tend to you know we we tend to solve for safety before everything else. So uh, equipping a, a tele operator with the ability to fully control the vehicle is 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 critical. Um, at the end of the day, you know, kind of where this is all going is the robot does fine until it gets it sees something that it hasn't seen before and it needs assistance. That's when it pulls over. That's when it engages the operator, who then you know is able to steer through it, disengage, and let it be on its way. So it's it, it's um it's really pretty simple, uh, and and what it takes to to get a robot on its way isn't isn't any kind of rocket science. But uh, as everybody's learning in this autonomous space, there's just so much to process, so much to think about, um, and it's a lot much much harder to automate the driving process than 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 most people thought. So, Luke, over in Austin, you have that pilot program going on. We have about 10 of these running around at Seltside Flying Pizza. How has that been going so far? You have about 40 days of uh, real-world activity, at least out of that location, and you're collecting some data on it. So are things looking good? Yeah, it's been fantastic. Um, so, so as you mentioned, Southside is, uh, was the, uh, the pilot and inaugural customer. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've been in and around Austin for 30 Five forty years, and uh, and so um, they were around even back then. Um, there's a few more of them than there are now. That that um, sort of entrepreneurial nature um, and 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 kindred spirit, I guess we feel with them, has really uh, come into play. Um, it's worked pretty seamlessly. Delivering pizza is, you know, people have been doing it for hundreds of years, probably, right? Um, and so, trying to figure out how to do it with a robot is is really just a different take on something that's 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 something on something that's been around for a while. Um, the, the, the most interesting part of this is actually, you know, we, when we're in a new city, we chase the robots. So somebody on a scooter on, you know, many of the rides will go behind it, take a look at it. 
Um, we kind of have to think of them as robot ambassadors in these days because 90% of what you get are questions from people about, well, what is that thing? What's in there? You know, is it, you know, is it some sort of government thing? Is it contraband? You know, what, you know, what are you guys carrying? And, you know, <laughs> so, you know and, and I can only imagine, you know, how those questions, you know, come as, you know, different kinds of categories begin to emerge and different substances become more legal in America and whatever else. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to, that, that's been the most interesting part about this whole thing. It's just getting people to explain what it's doing and, and, and why it's there. Yeah. I can imagine that you, you, you could have some people uh, calling 911 on the, on the, on the, right? hey, yeah. something has escaped here. I don't know. What it, so what's, what are some of the, what are some of the, what are the, some of the hurdles that you still have to overcome that you're going, it's, it's going great. Something you got to be discovering things like, aha, this, that. Uh, so, so what are those hurdles? So one of the interesting things about it is um, we, we decided, so we, we, we piloted it. We really began as a company in Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, and have been serving, you know, that for a couple of years now. Um, and Austin, you know, has been the most recent expansion. Now we've got, um, you know, the, the the operation going on here. And you know, I always joke that Michigan was in almost an entire state that was designed by transportation engineers. If it's not a grid, it's some sort of concrete tunnel that gets you, you know, from downtown to, you know, someplace west, you know, in in less than thirty seconds. And and in other cities, you know, Boston, you know, I spent a lot of time in Boston. They're sort of like paved cow paths. And, you know, people, you know, essentially surrender the front and the rear 10 inches of their car whenever they buy one, if they're going to put it out on the street. Um, you know, and Austin is, you know, has got its own idiosyncrasies, right? Yep. There were a lot of few cattle have come through Austin over the years. And, and a lot of those paths have been paved. Um, but you've got different streets to learn in different ways and different policies, um, sort of back in angled parking on South Congress, where we operate in Austin as our primary base. Um, you've got railroads that come through the middle of town. You've got a really big river um, that you have to deal with, you know, bandwidth issues and um, and cellular coverage uh, and, and wireless coverage as you cross um, different pieces. So learning a city is really more than just semantically understanding scenes, you know, through the AI and perception stack. Um, it's actually about understanding policies and trying to figure out how to mold and, and fold in with those policies. Austin has a lot of scooters. I mean, a lot. And and so to understand how we interact with scooters to, you know, to basically know when to pass, when to stop, when to, you know, to, to demur, those are all things that are unique to Austin and that we build in uh, to, to any city when we learn it. Yes, anyone who lives in a scooter city, too. And we actually saw in that truck driving video. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about the behavior of scooters is a lot of people actually park those on the sidewalk, right? So you can tell something how a motorcycle is going to interact, how a truck, a car is yeah. going to interact, a pedestrian. But every so often, a scooter is just going to, or maybe all the time in Austin, a scooter is just going to come right off the sidewalk into the road. And this thing sure. doesn't know what's happening before the collision. Hey, this is cool stuff. But before we really let you go, cool we got to send him to the Wheel of Stupid Questions. So spin that thing around. Oh, yeah. Spin the wheel. Make the deal. Let's see where we end up here. What do we got for him? Oh, okay. Here's a good one. Okay. What should you never heat up in a microwave? Think about that for a second. I would say any burrito that has a seafood product in it. Yes. Very, yeah. Yeah. Seafood product, but also like lettuce and stuff. If you heat up a burrito that has lettuce, that's gross too. You kind of want to maybe deconstruct it or... Yeah, no, I'm with you. Hey, people who want to learn more, you know your food. People who want to learn more, where do we send them to learn more about Refraction AI? Send them straight to refraction.ai. We would love to talk to any and everybody about what we're doing to make uh, last mile delivery affordable, convenient, and just a part of everybody's life. 
Luke, I can't wait until you show up at, uh, at my door here in Chattanooga. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. Right on. Take care. Thanks, guys. You with me on that, though, with the drones? I mean, drones have it. Like oh, yeah. you said, in last month, was a lot of application. People will always, and I bet it must annoy people who are developing these technologies so much because they'll, all, you, it's what about ism? Well, what about yeah. this thing? Or what about that? And it's like, look, we're just trying to deliver Chinese food and pizza, or we're just trying to deliver uh, pounds from Amazon that are under, you know, boxes from Amazon that are under five pounds. But yeah. where I take contention is when you try to show me a drone delivering a pizza, I'm just calling, like, that's, that, that seems so, you need like a special box, wouldn't you? How are you going to keep the cheese on the pizza, Vincent? <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, you have to fly very, very carefully. What are you covering up over here? Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers for providing SEMA solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Tell Them Dude. Oh, man, you need to go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. I'm kind of worried about getting my coffee in a, in a drone, too. Man. I, I, I like that. I like be half Well, you full. need that vehicle. That vehicle makes way more sense for food than a drone. It does. It does. It does. It, it, it absolutely does. Well, Perry Falk, he's the SVP of Carrier Operations at Nolan Transportation Group. He's also a Clemson University Tiger alum. And I bet when you were there, Perry, if those uh, robot pizza delivery cars existed, you definitely would have been summoning yourself a few pies. Oh, I would have gotten a, a new pizza every single day. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, pizza would have been I think the uh, observer would have been coming on and saying, please uh, step away from the, uh, from the vehicle, Perry the Falk. Vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Perry, you are, you've been at, at Nolan for a while after Clemson. Um, you work on the drayage side. Drayage intermodal has been horrible. One of that's been that terrible right now. One of the stories that came out a little over a week ago was like Union Pacific, for example, not taking freight out of the West Coast to Chicago. I believe they yep. just mentioned last night that they're going to trickle freight back into that stream oh, a slow up, trickle get us up to speed on the market what are things like out, out there right now i mean so at ntg we really focus on container drainage and uh, or i guess not a primary focus of the business but one of the things that i work on at ntg is our, our drainage business and the market for the last really 18 months two years since the beginning of COVID on the in the dray world and in the ocean container world has been i mean it's been crazy it's been you know disruption after disruption after disruption. And it, it seems like there's no no end in sight, so to speak. You have situations that are really public, like you see where the Suez Canal was blocked. You had a, a ship that turned sideways in there, had all of, you know, there was a backlog, no one could move. Some people decided to go around. And those things were really public. While at the same time, you know, you had months and months in 2020 where there were, you know, ports that were closed or they had limited access to, you know, to personnel, to staff, to unload container ships. So you've had these backlogs and this building, building backlog uh, of all these ships that can't get unloaded. And those disruptions are just rippling all throughout the industry through the, you know, domestic truckload side, which really is what we focus on, you know, for the most part at NTG on the, the van freight side. But it, but it just is, it's been a, you know, a, a comedy of disruptions, so to speak. And, and, and they're really, it feels like there's no end in sight um, because we've, we realized how interdependent we are as a world, right? The global supply chain, absolutely intertwined, and there's a lot of interdependency there. But we also found out that every country's you know, uh, experience with COVID has been truly independent. And so where early on you had China closed down first and the U.S., North America, the rest of the world closed down after as China reopened, there were ships that were ready to go, containers ready to move, and the U.S. wasn't ready to receive. And you saw these long backlogs at LAX for, for an extended period of time and still today. 
where you just had you had ships sitting out there in the water, and there are plenty of you know, things you see, you know, videos, people just looking at at these large fleets of ships. It almost looks like something out of you know, like Star Wars or Troy or something like that, where you just have these massive container ships just sitting there waiting, and then that finally starts to catch up, and then the next thing happens, and the the next issue where you have another port close, and you know, it, it's this constant ripple effect of change where there's not there's not really a relief valve, right? Where if you can't, you know, move by container, your only other option is, is really to go by air, but there have been fewer flights. And so when there are fewer flights, there's fewer, you know, opportunity for air cargo to move. And so there, there hasn't been this relief valve. So people have just had to, you know, kind of suck it up and wait to a certain extent for whatever they're looking for. And on the flip side of that, uh, along with your long period of waiting, you're paying a lot more. And container rates, shipping rates are going through the roof. And then there's all this freight that's coming in is leading to the what we're seeing on the domestic truckload side as just the capacity is strained. I, I'm, I'm not sure I'll go as far as say maybe there's a shortage. I think there's always been a shortage in trucking. You know, for 100 years, it feels like there's been a shortage. But there's such a high volume. There's such high demand that anyone that's out there in a truck is, is moving and moving. So a long answer to your question, I think. No, but 100% accurate, Perry. I think it's what everybody is seeing, right? If not the fact that they kind of uh, get uh, complacent about the situation and get reminded just about how bad it is when a little pebble hits it, that stream. It's important to reiterate, boom. too, how, and I know as repetitive and redundant as it is to hear this all the time, I think it's important to reiterate that, yeah. how this is impacting every single mode. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it crosses modes yeah. like crazy. And you guys hit a couple different areas here, obviously, with the capacity and the truckload over the road. What? So what are you guys doing about about this this situation there, and have you guys added capacity to this? Do you see that as the answer? What what's what's Nolan's solutions here? Sure. So you know, at NTG at Nolan, we are a non-asset broker. You know, we're a three PL. We've been in the space for you know getting close on twenty years now, and you can't really pull capacity. You can't pull a rabbit out of a hat. But what we've been doing over the course of you know the last fifteen to twenty years is building really strong relationships with our carrier partners. And it's been core, it's been fundamental, it's been sort of the story of NTG all along of these really deep and strong relationships with our carrier partners so that when things do go crazy and you know the pebble hits the supply chain, like you are just mentioning, we, we've got a really strong group that we can rely on, that we work together, whether the market's loose, the market's tight, there's no freight, there's tons of freight, that we, we work with a really strong core group that, that we rely on each other. So, you know, we feel confident that we can deliver for our customers. And we also feel really confident that we can get our carriers paid and make sure they get paid quickly, get really good rates and, and can, you know, not have some of the hurdles and challenges that they face other places. I mean, if you think on, on the truckload side, brokers deal with, you know, problems of getting detention, right? You, you look at uh, drayage and the amount of fees and problems there are exponentially more difficult. And so having really strong trusted relationships with our carriers, it's, it's almost the only solution you have is you've got to rely on those folks. And we've been building those for a long time and working together. And then on the flip side, we've been building for our customers strong technology solutions where, you know, they can gain visibility. They can know what's going on as things are changing. They can see what's happening. I think when rates are really high and capacity is really tight, you don't hear quite as much about visibility, visibility, visibility. There's not a lot of demand for that. But what we're trying to do is take this time now and and provide that added visibility, give people that that insight into their network that they want 
so that, you know, when things do settle down, they've got it, they're used to it and they can keep, you know, rolling with us. So no, no magic bullet to this. It's just good old fashioned relationships, really. In, in a market like this, there's always hero stories and horror stories. Do you have any success or maybe a horror story of of these, I don't know, past 18 months or so in this really difficult drainage environment? How have you know, you've either been hurt or how have you helped someone? So I, I really should have come with a like a better prime example, but it really has been this this battle of everyone is looking around and it's it's horror left and right, right? You've got months and months of difficulty, you've got you know, you just can't get anything done the way you used to because there have been so many changes and the way people are interacting and engaging is so different where you have, you know, you've got shortages, right? You had shortages on semiconductors, you had lumber prices going through the roof. So people had to rebuild their supply chains and say, well, we used to not have to ship semiconductors from this place to another. We didn't have to reach out to this person and, and, you know, and they've been creating brand new shipping lanes. And so, We've been able to provide, you know, the real success story for us is we've been able to provide consistent capacity and reliable solutions to our entire customer base where we haven't missed a beat. And if anything, we've been able to take on more volume because of all of the disruption, because we've got that flexibility. We have carriers in every single port. We can always get you a truck. You know, if when capacity is tight on the Dre world, you start to run into the per diem and demurrage charges where all of a sudden, the way I describe it, it's like it's like you've got a ticking time bomb where now this container that's been sitting for a couple of days really starts to get expensive. And it sits for a couple of days more and it gets really, really expensive. And so we're always able to provide that solution to bring in that truck where you need it, get that container pulled and and, and really try and save the day. So I, I guess I should have had a better example of that. But, but the reality is we've been able to provide that across the board and universally where there's been so much uncertainty that being able to rest easy on on this particular area in the supply chain, I think our, our customers and our carriers have felt really good. No, it's a, it's excellent, Perry. So, um, can you leave us with a, a a good solid tip? Just give us give us one tip for for shippers and how they can they can get ahead in the, in this market right now. Yeah, I mean, as best you can, you know, expect the unexpected. You know, one of the things I was looking at when I was prepping for this was I was going to talk about, hey, you never know what's coming next. Uh, you know, get ready. There might be a, a port that goes down because of a cyber attack. And then, you know, woke up this weekend and saw that that, that exactly happened uh, in, in, in Cape Town. And so you've got to expect the unexpected as, as, as well as you can start to stock up on inventory. I think we've seen, you know, inventories have been low. It's been so hard to catch back up, but wherever you can take advantage of that, build up your inventories. And if you've got you know, don't be afraid to explore a shipping lane that you didn't use before. Different ports, different suppliers, different sources. We can help you price that. We can help you find the service you need for that where it may have been price prohibitive before to deliver on the East Coast when you need it on the West Coast. But that may be your best solution now. And so it's I think everyone's gotten really used to thinking outside the box, but we can help provide those solutions and help you you know, evaluate your, your entire supply chain and get your Thanks, goods Kurt. where they need to go. Thank you, Perry. Thanks for joining us today. Check out Nolan Transportation Group. And uh, yeah, he made a great point there, too. When I worked in managed transportation, right, when I was with the 4PL, yeah. you'd be amazed how often you would audit a routing guide and you would find all these inefficiencies. And these are oh, lanes sure. that have been booked maybe even years ago. So when's the last time you audited your routing guide? Take a look at it. See where your partners are. There might be greater opportunities out there, but you might also have to trust some of your partners as well. And it's tough in this environment when you feel like you're getting 
gouged. And that's hopefully why we can inform the market here uh, at least a little bit on what pricing and those kind of things are so that you don't get squashed. Yeah, absolutely. And Perry brought up a great uh, example of, of you know why what they do about things and building those relationships and being that valued provider or looking for those that you wouldn't just dump into Greece for a few cents less a mile or something, right? You value them anyway. over price. Yeah. But everyone will. All right. Big they deal, will. little deal. Big deal. That would be the day, right? When everyone just, you know, didn't leverage and bend everyone over the market. One of these days, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, after dropping down to 10 ships at anchor, speaking of some of the problems here, after dropping down to 10 ships at anchor a few weeks ago, we're right back to 30 plus container ships in the port of LA, Long Beach, as of uh, last Friday. Big deal, little deal, dude. Yeah, little deal, man. It's old little, news. It's old news. We're used to 30 plus ships sitting out there. Yeah. It's so what it feels like, right? It feels like, oh, 30. Okay, well, yeah. back to normal for the last 18 months. It's a, it's a big deal because it goes to the, uh, it just goes to show you, I mean, this ain't over. No. For people who think this is going to calm down and go away, it, it's not. And I can't imagine there are people out there that are, but I, I do meet them and talk to them every once in a while. Well, you remember last year, we were so, but, we had so yeah, much muscle crazy. memory from the cyclicality of this industry, right? You have so yeah. much that you never think anything's going to last too long. So a lot of predictions no. about COVID, they were kind of short, maybe even short-sighted. And I think this year, people are looking at stuff and they're like, you know what, this is, okay, I actually believe this might go until yeah. 2022, if not, if not further. And there's a lot of dynamics at play. We were sitting here not two months, uh, last, last fall going, wow. Past the first quarter, you really think so? Yeah. Yeah. Well, next quarter, next year, first quarter. Uh, so, hey, our own Alan Adler got his firsthand look at a plus autonomous truck on the highway, my yeah. friend, rolling down the road. What do you think? Big deal, little deal? Hmm. Hmm. This is a tough one. I'm going to say little deal right now because they mm -hmm. still have, so they want to do 8 billion miles. They say they're going to do it by 2024. Yeah. So they're still doing a lot of that testing. I asked Alan for his firsthand account on this, and he said that, you know, it still felt like driver assist, autonomous level two trucking. It was very polite driver. It did everything it needed to do on the road. Um, maybe not 100% ready for prime time, but working towards it. And they don't need it to be. They want to go 8 billion miles. So I think the bigger deal might come in 2024 when we ask this question again. But you're seeing a lot happening in that space. I, My prospects for autonomous, like what we talked about earlier, refraction AI, I see that happening way sooner than I see a truck without a driver going down the highway. Oh, yeah. yeah. Autonomous uh, five-foot tricycle yeah. carrying a couple pizzas? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Be I wild. agree 100%. So I got this message from a listener, Stephen Slots, last night. Uh, he said that TA is starting to ration fuel. We have a picture, too. TA is starting to ration fuel at some locations. Diesel gallons at TA Express. Uh, Power One Utah are currently limiting to 60 per purchase. And there's a number of different stations that are limiting the amount of gallons to 60 per purchase. Big deal or little deal? Uh, little deal. This, this is, I mean, it happened in a limit, limited number of, of, of stores. And according to TA this, this morning, they're, they're back online and everything, yeah. everything is good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good example of what happens when, um, you know, truck supply and capacity is demanded. So it's being yeah. so tight. Cause that's what it is. It's not a lack of fuel supply. It's a lack of trucks to get it. There's was yeah. the explanation. Uh, it could become a big deal, but this is two or three and it's over. It was last week. So, so don't panic and um, top off because no, if you do that, you will cause a big shortage. Then so it'll be a big deal. That. Then it will be a big deal. But and we're going to like you said, we're going to see more of this when we talk about the supply chain, all those issues that Perry was just telling us about. And he outlined 
those are impacting everything from furniture all the way down to gas delivery. So don't panic when something's not in stock. It's coming. It's just stuck in a port or on a boat or yeah. in demurrage or on a truck somewhere. So yeah. don't panic. That's just, just the nature of the beast. Yeah, right yeah. just because COVID's out there doesn't mean you're going to go to the bathroom 157 times a day. Uh, McDonald's. <laughs> well, the toilet paper. Oh, story. yes. Yes. McDonald's commits 25% of supply chain spend to diverse suppliers by 2025, Dooner. Big deal, little deal. Well, look, the big companies lead the way, right? They set the temperature, they set the tone, they put that ripple in effect in the water. Um, this is actually an easy goal for McDonald's to achieve. So they might have been juicing the wire a little bit with this press release because as it turns out, um, they've already allocated, right? 23, in 2020, 23 of its supply chain spending, that was about $14 billion, went towards those businesses. So mm-hmm. when you talk about 25% of their annual supply chain spend, that's uh, about $3.5 billion. So they don't have to even add much to get there. It's just 2% more to their network. But maybe this is a commitment to remain, um, remain and buy on those suppliers, right? Yeah, it, it almost, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great initiative. I think twenty five percent or more is 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 warranted, and it's good stuff. But it seems like a um, kind of maybe it's a little bit of a marketing thing. Nobody knew that twenty three percent already yeah. was there, and so that's a good way to put it out there and get it out there. I don't think it's necessarily right. bad. But well, if you wanted hey, a pat on the back, then give McDonald's a pat on the back, didn't right. want to wait until twenty twenty four. We'll give you a little cowbell. That's all you had to do. Who is it? Ray Kroc over there? Ronald McDonald's? Who do I got to talk to? <laughs> Who do I put some arches on? Right. I don't think it's Ray anymore. I heard McDonald's. Uh, you had an ad on. I was watching the re. I was listening to the rewatchable today. I saw a little McDonald's ad on there. What about your big guy over here? You want to put a golden arch on me? Huh? <laughs> Till then, little deal. Call All right, up. burn out logistics. Let's get Ronald McDonald in <laughs> the octagon get, right now. Get in here. All right, burn out logistics. Uh, I was reading this thread. Uh, I was reading this thread on Reddit, right? And this person right. is coming up here. Okay, what does it and say? we talk about the great resignation, all this stuff, and how difficult it is to work in supply chain. Here's what they wrote 20 years in the industry, he says, driven to the brink. 20 years in the industry, I've had my share of stress over the years, but is what, ha- what ha- is happening now is unprecedented. People are pushed to the brink, quitting, leaving more work for less people. Just an insane S show like I have never seen before. <laughs> this may be it. Time to go out, but what is a good alternate career after 20 years in import brokerage, man, CHB, that's what I used to do. I hate to hear that. What is the general experience out there? Maybe it's just the company I'm with. Anyone still enjoying this career? We want to attract people in this business. Big deal, yeah. a little deal that, you know, people with experience who know what, who are familiar with this kind of stuff are starting to get burnt out. It's, it's a big deal for this dude. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I don't know that it's a big deal for the industry. I think the big deal for this industry is that there's a shortage of, of people that can do Do you do think this that that can stuff. have a cascading effect? Um, effect. The, I, I, I don't know. My first reaction to this, I'm going to go with my gut reaction, is it's a little deal and, and the guy needs to suck it up a little bit. It's been a difficult situation since I've been in it for yeah. 34 years, but that's one of the things that I love about it. And for every guy that you'll see saying, hey, this is too much, too stressed, you'll see guys that just love that challenge yeah. uh, and going through it and creating that thing. Yes, it's a little it's a ton more stressful today. Uh, there's, there's absolutely no, no, no doubt about it. But I, I think I do like ahead. that he says that maybe it's just his experience with the company, and maybe he it, it, and needs it could a be. chain of scenery. It, and it could be, but more it, opportunity than ever too. It, it does, but I mean, the bigger deal to this is is. We have talked to so many people who yeah. talk about mental health and bringing that to the forefront and, and dealing with this type of yeah. stuff much better than, hey, see you in six hours for your next 14 hey, hour shift. Suck it up, Vincent, which is what, what it was in 84, right? We have, you want new life in this industry. We have 37 open jobs here at Freightways. We've got jobs open yeah. over on the media side. We love bringing in people like, like the dude and I who have experience in this industry. You can, we convert you into TV talent because you bring more insight than, uh, than I don't know, most, most people tend to. 
Sure. Right. Absolutely. Come over here. You're sick of doing entries, right? Yeah, heck yeah. Want to do any more entries? All right. What's the last one? <laughs> Come out here. Oh, hey, the College Square Mall in Morristown, Tennessee, had a couple of bears visit Ooh. over the weekend. Uh, we've got some video over here. So here's yeah. one trying to go in the main entrance. I think we got another one checking out, uh, you know, uh, the, the movie listings, my friend. Big, big deal, little deal. What do you think they're doing? You know, you like uh, maybe he's holding as a bear for AMC or maybe he's a bull, right? He's going to check out on his investment. He wants yeah. to make sure that, that uh, yeah. there's no uh, alpha or theta trends or whatever the, yeah, uh, the yeah. stock nerds talk about here. Um, I like it. You know, he decided not to go in, obviously, because the only thing playing is Space Jam, and you could go and see that uh, that remake, that Warner <laughs> Brothers commercial on HBO Max anyway. The um, they also like abandoned places, so you can you can understand why Bear's there. They're taking over nature. If you've been in a mall recently, it's kind of sad how many empty storefronts there are. Yeah. Um, hopefully they don't do to that bear like they did to the one here in Chattanooga and put a bullet in it. Ooh, yeah, I don't no, think they did. Run, bear, run. Run, bear, run. Hey, and you run back to us on Wednesday. We'll be back here at noon Eastern time. Catch Freight Waves now tomorrow at 9 a.m. We'll probably have more stuff going on on Freight Waves TV today, so stick around. Uh, find me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love, everyone. Spread it everywhere.